Welcome back to the Grim and Gilded podcast. Seal the door, pour the salt, and light the candle. It's time for our next tale. Episode 6, featuring two flash fiction pieces from Issue 10. Part 1, Winter's Hunger, by Rue Bedrosian. The snow is rising to my knees. It's soft snow, the gentle, malleable kind that doesn't sit too heavily upon the ground. I am grateful for that. It means I'll freeze much slower, uncompacted by what piles atop me. My legs, already buried, aren't cold. They aren't anything. Powdery snowfall covers the fractures I cannot feel, hiding the sight of my split shins and snapped bones. Even the rocks I'd landed on two days ago have disappeared under the quiet blanket of winter. Dylan hasn't moved. He'd landed upside down and it had turned his entire head around. I cannot see his face from where I sit, another thing to be grateful for, so I can pretend he's only asleep. In small moments of stubborn hope, I convince myself that he's conserving his energy, restoring his strength before he starts a search for help. The snow also keeps me from feeling thirsty. I've shoveled gloved fistfuls into my mouth to keep my tongue and lips wet. I didn't care when a little dirt snuck past my teeth. After a while, I was grateful for the taste, even the texture. In two days, I have grown remarkably, uncomfortably hungry. With the rise of today's sun, I am weak, maybe ill. My starved stomach stabs at every neighboring organ. I push more snow into my mouth only to heave it back up, tasting bile instead of water. I know that I am freezing, starving, dying. I also know that I don't want to, not in the slightest. Dylan's leg is the closest to me. With what remains of my strength, I grab his ankle and yank. He's 200 pounds of dead weight, made heavier in the sopping wet cold. I can barely breathe as I pull on him, desperate and dry heaving. Finally, When he is within easier reach, I tear fiercely at the leg of his cargo pants, revealing the blue-grayish flesh beneath. I no longer have my backpack. I'm not sure where it landed, and I can't see it through the snow. My only tools are the keys in my pocket. One for a home I might never return to, one for the car parked four miles away, and one for the garden shed we'd never gotten around to cleaning out. I think of the clutter in there, all the trowels and saws and shears, and promise to never take the mess for granted again. The blunt teeth of keys won't ever pierce his skin. Instead, I stab the shed key deep into the back of the calf. It takes no time at all to puncture the muscle with a soft, sickly squish. Blood just barely spurts when I yank it out, peppering the snow with cola red dots. I want to recoil, but I want more to survive. The car key, 
the largest blade, does the best job of sawing the flesh. Bit by bit, I cut pieces of Dylan's skin, wash them in the snow, and swallow them whole. I don't want to taste him, so I flatten my tongue and slurp like I might an oyster. On the third sliver, I begin to cry. Then, I laugh. It's a desperate, maniacal sound that gets me through the rhythm of cutting, washing, swallowing. Dylan's leg is cut up to the back of his knee. I thank him through ebbing tears and promise him that none will go to waste. Finally full, I sleep. I even dream a little, until the pain finds me, showing me what a gentle caress my hunger had been in comparison. The antlers hurt the most. It feels as though they'll split me in half from the top, or burst from me like eels in a hawk's belly. All the blood makes sense, but not its methods. I didn't think I'd be twisted and bled at this crawling, torturous pace. A curse bestowed so quickly ought to run its course the same way, as quickly as my first bite had been cut, devoured, and kept down. Next, I watch my fingers crack and ball up in place, hard now like hooves. My knees are bowing forward like they might in a funhouse mirror. What's cruel is I can feel them again. I can feel everything, all of it, all at once. It's a cacophony of agony for no one but the trees and rocks to hear. The pain of a broken body is significant. Any survivor will tell you that as they ruminate on the things they had no choice but to do. However, the pain of a body rebuilding itself in all the wrong directions is unfathomable. As my skull splinters, the pain traveling fast to the thickening stumps of my teeth, I notice my jaw can no longer accommodate them. Instead, it juts and warps forward like taffy might be pulled, harsh and sudden, over and over. Through my shredded coat, I can see the ribs pushed up against my skin, desperate to escape from the remains of my living flesh. They writhe like snakes, hissing for freedom. As the rest of my bones take their new, unnatural places, I feel the familiar rumblings of hunger. Except... It isn't familiar at all. This hunger doesn't compare to what I managed, horrifically, to satiate. It runs much deeper to the very core of whatever I'm becoming. I feel it rattling in the space where my stomach had been, now reduced to a gaunt and hollow trench. It spreads like a gasoline fire along the length of my body. My blood, black now as tar, is boiling and bubbling with hunger. I groan, except the sound is more of a rough and rabid growl. I lift my head, tears streaming from eyes that still fleetingly belong to me, and scream. Part 2. Evolution by Carolyn Bewley
saliva swelled, dripping from my teeth as I stepped forward. The girl stood at the edge of the clearing, just beyond the tree line. She and the other humans had been shouting since the sun's zenith, announcing their presence to the entire wood as they built a fire, erected their shelters. This girl in particular was very loud, always firing out sharp shrieks. And now, she was alone. The soft pads of my paws were silent on the summer soil as I approached the girl. She crouched in the twilight, releasing sharp, acrid urine. Her body was grotesque. She looked starved, bones sticking through her skin. Her heart beat rapidly to keep her body warm. But now was not the time to be picky. I was also hungry. My muscles tightened and tensed as I crouched, too. And then I leapt. My body shot through the foliage with lethal precision. She did not hear me until it was too late. She put up a good fight, screaming and sinking her pathetic teeth into my thick fur. I'll give her credit. She may have even broken skin. But in the end, she was only human. Her blood tasted sweet on my lips, like berries. I fell asleep, sated. I woke up, raving. It was night. The same night? Days later? My mouth was dry. My bones were burning. I was surprised smoke didn't rise from my coat as I crashed through the underbrush. Surely the heat was enough to start a fire. Something had been wrong with the girl. I should have known. Clearly she had been wasting away under the influence of some disease, and now that disease flowed through me. It beat in my blood. Throwing my head back, I let out an agonized howl. My raised eyes registered the milky silhouette of the full moon against the night. And then my body folded. Pops of pain exploded down my spine, behind my eyes. I howled into the night, and the howl became a scream. And the scream sounded eerily familiar. Consciousness returned on the forest floor. It was brutally cold, colder than the woods had ever been. I curled into myself, trying to warm my trembling body, and my snout nudged against something wet and fleshy. My eyes snapped open, and a flood of overwhelming color assaulted me. I sprang to a standing position, pawing my face. But my paws were limb and febrile, and I could not stand properly. My lips fumbled, trying to howl in pain, but only a wet wail escaped. I was vulnerable. A pallid sack of penetrable organs. I trembled. Every cracking twig, every creaking tree was a threat, a latent attack against which my body could not defend. I slunk back to my cave, dragging my clumsy, inarticulate form through the trees. I laid on the stone floor, shaking, my limbs jutting uncomfortably. No wonder the girl had shrieked, stuck in such a shell. Closing my eyes, I willed myself to fall asleep, hoping that when I awoke, my body would be restored, feral, and functional.
This episode's first piece, Winter's Hunger, was written by Rue Bedrosian. Rue is a musician, writer, and performer based in South New Jersey. They most often focus their fiction in horror and enjoy exploring macabre topics through humorous, romantic, and visceral lenses. Their other work spans poetry, songwriting, and personal essays exploring deeper emotions, desires, and fears. More stories and personal pieces are available at rubidrosian.com. And of course, the second piece featured in this episode, Evolution, was written by Carolyn Bewley. Carolyn is a high school English teacher and writer based in Washington, D.C. Her writing has appeared in Flash Fiction Magazine, Maudlin House, Weekly Humorist, Belladonna, and more. She has also been recognized in flash fiction competitions hosted by Hysteria Anthology, Wild Atlantic Writing, Women on Writing, and The Pigeon Review. When she's not teaching or writing, she enjoys taking her dashend Dumbledore on walks and throwing bits of paper around for her cat, Eloise. Grim and Gilded would like to thank, as always, the wonderful writers who submit their work to the show. In addition to the podcast, you can discover our literary journal of dark fiction online at www.grimandgilded.com. There you can find more short stories, flash fiction, and poetry, all from our amazing authors. You can also find details on how to submit your own work for consideration. Support for the podcast comes entirely from you, the listener. Please visit our Kofi page at www.kofi. That's ko-fi.com forward slash Grim and Gilded. We'll see you next time.